0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. That is the great uh, Bobby Rydell singing Wild One. In addition to being a great song, and uh, I actually had the privilege of meeting... Uh, Bobby Rydell. It's featured in uh, the most recent episode of Marvelous Mrs. Maisel that I saw, which I'll tell you about in a little while. It also is probably an apt description for Dave Slinky Bender, who uh, has led a fascinating, fascinating life. Just how fascinating, we'll find out in just a moment. And I am told that um, this is someone who... Has done the kind of career transition that very few people can lay claim to. Let me welcome in studio, Dave Slinky Bender. Do I call you Dave Slinky, Slinky Is Mr. Good. Bender? Slinky. Good okay. to meet you, Frank. Good to meet you. How does one get the nickname Slinky? I can't tell that story on the air. <laughs> you can't tell a, a, an abridged version or a or a censored version? Uh
0: most kind of mobbed up guys get their nickname committing something that has no
1: statute of limitations. Understood. Got it. Okay. Okay. That's a fair response. That's w- one way to uh, to get us to, to move on. Now, you uh, have been described by some as at one time having been a, a drug dealer to the stars. Is that an apt description? Absolutely. Uh, CEOs
0: of Fortune 500 companies, Grammy winners, Tony winners – uh, you name it. How does one get into dealing drugs? I don't think most people have an aspiration to do it. Um, with me, I was a drug user in college, and I was, I guess, fortunate enough to have access to some very good drugs. So people like, oh, can I buy some? And drug users can be very insistent. About wanting good drugs. So you kind of get sucked into it. W-
1: what kind of drugs are we talking about here? My biggest thing was cocaine. Cocaine. Uh, so you were a big cocaine user. People would hear that you had cocaine and you would just sell it to them. Absolutely. And then um, you you were in college and everything at the time? This was after I had graduated from Cornell. From Cornell. What did you study in Cornell?
0: I have... Uh, Bachelor of Science in Engineering and a Professional Master of Engineering.
1: Wow. Uh, Both from Cornell. Yes. Very, very very impressive. So there then came a time that you got involved in the uh, sex business, the the world of prostitution, right?
0: Yes. Basically, I was living in college town,
1: and there was this very famous bar
0: called Johnny's Big Red. It's where Vladimir Nabokov wrote Lolita when he was a visiting professor. And right around the time I graduated, their lease came up and the landlord just jacked up the rent to something ridiculous. So the owners realized they couldn't make a go of it. So they found, I think they were recent hotel school grads and they sold them the bar. They very quickly realized that they couldn't make a go of it. Oh, my. So they hired a bunch of strippers. And I think they figured that there would be enough backlash from the community that they would get out of their lease. It didn't work. Didn't work. But what did happen is, is at the time, I had six jobs when I was in college. And one of them, I was head of the university union's audio visual squad. So this place was right down the block. I go there and I'm talking to one of the strippers and she finds out like, oh, you have access to all the fraternities, don't you? Next thing I knew, I was booking strippers and all the. You
1: basically became a pimp. No, this was just booking strippers. Just booking strippers. Okay, so um, and then did the, Did it escalate to anything else? Or sure. Uh, one
0: day, I'm in my room and there's a knock on the door, and it's the head of campus security and the county sheriff. I'm like, okay, this is it. I'm being expelled. My career's over before it starts. Whatever. No, apparently, they had a very small town not that far away where they basically ran the town, and there was a brothel that they were having issues managing.
1: Well, who's the they? The they that was having issues managing the brothel and ran that town? Um, I don't want to say names, uh-huh. but it Just, was basically the county sheriff. Gotcha. So the county sheriff was essentially corrupt. Aren't they all? Well, <laughs> no, no. We got a lot of good sheriffs out there. <laughs> but am teasing, but guys. So the county sheriff's basically corrupt, and
0: he basically— the law enforcement agency in that town was all his, like, nephews
1: and whatever. Gotcha. So they ran that town. Gotcha. Gotcha. So next thing I knew, I'm managing this brothel for them. For the county sheriff? Yeah. So um, is that how you were able to escape a, a, pro- a prosecution and prison time for the drug dealing? And No, no, prose- no, no. That
0: had nothing to do with well, it. Well, so how it? did
1: you? How did you escape uh, prosecution?
0: Well, look at me. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. What do I look like? I look like Woody you look Allen. like an accountant, right? Yes. So the way in a I've, leather jacket. The way I've gotten away with a lot of stuff my entire life is. They look at me. I'll give you an example. When I finally did get arrested on 12B felony charges, this was in 2014. I walk into court. The judge looks at me and just goes, "What's this guy doing here?" <laughs>
1: If people are just tuning in, we're talking with Dave Slinky Bender. So what was the what was the adjudication of that case, that 2014 case, the felony case? Basically, if you
0: are an upstanding citizen, you know, i two Ivy League degrees out right. property, good, whatever. Sure. They have a process where you pre-plead guilty to all the charges, and then you do 18 months of rehab and whatever, and as long as you're a good boy – They wipe all the charges out.
1: And that's what happened with
0: you? Yes. And you didn't have to go to prison? No. I I did 10 days in the tombs. Okay. Well, that's, that's nothing. Please. Which, by the way, I had heard all sorts of bad things about the tombs. I'm sorry they closed that up because it really wasn't all that bad. I really, was surprised. I, I was surprised how not bad the were. Uh, I had a private room and everything.
1: For people listening around the country, the tombs is a city jail here in Manhattan that, that recently uh, that recently was shuttered. Uh, Dave Slinky Bender is here. So, uh, since that 18 month uh, promise to be good deal, have you been able to keep your your nose clean? No prostitution, no drug dealing. I'll plead the fifth. <laughs> All right, No well, drug dealing. Okay. All right. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, there's been uh, – and so tell people what you're doing now. What, what are you doing now career-wise?
0: Um, I have a real estate practice, but I also have this website called utopiaguide.pl, and it's an escort review website. And – I do things. I promote some parties. Like, for example, if people want to meet me tonight, I'm going to be at the experience party at 108 Greenwich Street. And if you want to come and say, I'm here to party with Slinky, you're going to get special treatment. So,
1: what is the website for that? Oh, that the website, if you find it, utopiaguide.pl. Gotcha. So, um, you have been uh, something of a legend in the underground club scene for uh, decades. What is the underground club scene?
0: There's no real definition because some of the underground club scene isn't really underground. Like there was a place on East 7th Street called Cabin Down Below that's owned by guys who own a bunch of legitimate bars. And it was a legitimate bar with a liquor license. But they're in the music business and it was sort of their private little place for celebrities and people in the music business. Whatever, And if you just walked up there, you weren't getting it. Mm -hmm. But I knew someone who worked there. And he said, You know something, come on, I'll introduce you. And that was sort of my entree into that place. And like, I'll give you an example of a story from there. So, around 2011, um, it was New Year's Eve, and I'm watching TV, and there's this blonde woman with blue lipstick on. I'm like, Who the hell is that? And my wife finally tells me, Go, go out, whatever. So, I'm at cabin down below, and I'm sitting between Jim Carrey. Oh, wow. And the woman with the blue lipstick, Jenny McCarthy. I get up, I go to the bathroom, and my friend James Bellicini, who's an amazing artist for rock and roll, like
1: album covers, goes, "Slinky, how do you know Kesha?" <laughs> so you're at you're at this New Year's Eve party with Kesha and Jim Carrey. That's wild. So, uh, talking with Dave Slinky Bender, it, in. My experience going to, I don't know if underground is the right word, but certainly unauthorized bars, I, a lot of them would be after-hours spots. That because in the places where I was in, they didn't have 24-hour bars like, say, Atlantic City does or Las Vegas does, people didn't want to, or people that work out hours like me, or folks that wanted to still party after 4 a.m., they didn't want the party to end. And, I, you know, I, I got to hang out with uh, the mayor of New York uh, a month or two ago, and that was the only issue that I brought up with him: is that I think it's terrible because I know he's a night owl that these bars are all forced to close at 4 a.m. and he said he agreed with me but then I heard he tells everybody he agrees with them. Uh, I'm curious as to your view from a public policy standpoint is is 4 a.m. or 2 a.m. or sometime does it make sense to have a closing time?
0: Yes, I think it does make sense to have a closing time because I mean, even though I've been in nightlife you know the saying nothing good happens after midnight? It's true. To some extent it's true and if it's Unlimited, I think, as a public policy issue, just too much bad stuff happens in these after. I'm not saying they should be all shut down or whatever, but I don't think the concept of just making them totally open to everybody is a good
1: thing. Makes sense. Makes sense. Now, uh, let's talk about public policy. One of the things we're seeing more states and municipalities move towards is a legalized recreational marijuana. And uh, this has a lot of people concerned that this could create a situation with gateway drugs and you get uh, kids or young people used to chasing that high. It has a lot of other people Concerned about things like impaired driving, and it has a lot of people who don't enjoy walking around the the streets or the boardwalks or wherever and being smacked with uh, the smell of a skunk concerned about the quality of life in certain neighborhoods what's your view of the movement towards which is pretty soon going to be nationwide i think legalized recreational marijuana? I agree with you that i i don't see any way that
0: we're not going in that direction, but I have to i don 't think it'll end well because You just have people who are walking around impaired 100% of the time. It's gone too far in that direction. Do you remember when we had off-track betting parlors and there was all sorts of nonsense and that's why they finally closed down? I think we're seeing some of the same thing among these unlicensed dispensaries. In the news, we've seen, you know, there's a stabbing,
1: there's a shooting, whatever. And where are they all happening? Outside of some smoke shop. So um, we should maybe pump the brakes on this push for marijuana everywhere. Recently, they opened up the legal dispensaries, but it's already everywhere. Right, right. So, and and you know, the illegal dispensaries, they get fined, and then they just reopen again. Exactly. So, what's the point? Right. I, I think it
0: needs to be better regulated. I, I don't think marijuana should be illegal. Absolutely not. But I think we've sort of let it become a runaway trade.
1: The uh, There was this big push now in the uh, presidential contest on the Republican side to bomb the Mexican drug cartels. Uh, Donald Trump has said this. Lindsey Graham has said it. A bunch of people have all said it that these drug cartels in Mexico should be treated like terrorists. The Mexican government has said, no, please don't bomb us. That's not the good way to do things. I had a fellow on the other day from the Cato Institute, a doctor, very sophisticated guy, uh, very, very accomplished doctor. He said, no, the solution is not to bomb the drug cartels, his solution was b- legalize more of these hard drugs and better regulate these hard drugs and uh, at the same time do what you can to decrease the demand for them by pushing drug rehabilitation and education. Which of those two approaches, bombing the drug cartels or making everything legal, is closer to your view?
0: Well, I think we've had a war on drugs for 50 years and we've been losing So, you know, if you do something for 50 years and you're losing, maybe it's not the right way to go. Mm. So, I am much closer to the doctor who was on. The other thing you have to remember is anytime you make something illegal, only criminals profit from it.
1: Right. Right. Well, that's, that's a fair point. One of the things that uh, people have raised that same argument about is prostitution. There's propol- in, We're being heard in Nevada right now in the Nevada Talk Radio Network. There are counties in Nevada where uh, prostitution is legal. A lot of people are trying to do that same thing in New York. There's a bill in the legislature now that would do just that. A lot of other states are considering considering similar appro- approaches. They say this would be safer. They say this would keep underage people from getting involved in prostitution. and This would be safer for the sex worker and for the john, and uh, that you're more likely to be able to tax it if it is legal. What's your view on, as having has some experience in this, on legalization of prostitution? I'm in favor of decriminalization, but I think
0: people think that legalization is a panacea, and I'll give you an example. There was a guy by the name of Dennis Hoff, mm. who ran the Bunny Ranch, sure. which maybe is the most famous legal brothel in the history sure. of the world. I knew him a little bit. Okay, so... About 15 years ago, he came to New York with a bevy of his workers, whatever, and he saw this comedy show by my friend Mickey the Milf, who was a sex worker and a madam, whatever. Mm -hmm. And afterwards, we all went to this suite of rooms they had at the Waldorf Astoria. I have never heard a group of sex workers complain about their boss as much as they hated Dennis Haas. Really? So here you have a legal operation... And obviously, it didn't result in better behavior
1: by management. Uh, So when we say decriminalization versus legalization, what does that mean? What does that look like? Um, Stop prosecuting,
0: but don't try and make it a government enterprise well that makes
1: uh, that can that makes a lot of sense when did adding the government to anything mm. result in improvement uh, that that is that's fair hey um, w- one thing I want to ask you about before we go uh President Trump was on uh, with uh, John Katzenmatides last night and he talked about the problems with human trafficking and sex trafficking because of the border situation. Is that real? Is that legitimate? Do you see a lot of problems with human trafficking and sex trafficking because of the porous border? I think we have a conflation of human trafficking and sex
0: trafficking. Human trafficking is a real issue, but the very far right and the very far left try and make it as if all trafficking is sex trafficking. The reality is it's a very small percentage. Now, look, one trafficked child for sex is not acceptable. But, for example, the FBI does an operation every year to find underage sex-trafficked people. In 2022, they did 391 operations over two weeks. I think they had thousands of agents. They spent millions of dollars and they identified 80 potential wow. victims. Where, if you see the figures that are thrown out, they claim that between 100,000 and 300,000 children are sex trafficked in the United States. Well, they only found 80, 80. potential victims. Right. So, I think that if you look at the human trafficking issue, it's much more prevalent in the restaurant industry. Like, every time you call and have food delivered, I guarantee you there are people in that shade who have been trafficked.
1: Uh, th- that's an uh, interesting thing to keep in mind. Slinky, uh, enjoy talking to you. You're a fascinating guy. I'd love to have you come back and do an interview on my Racket Report podcast. We could talk about some mob stuff and some other things. Thank you very much.
0: Thanks for having me, Frank.
1: Dave, Slinky, Bender, uh, if you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, you're welcome to do so. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight.